Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Matthew. And we'll be looking today at Matthew chapter 6. Today we'll be looking again at verses 5 through 8 as we continue our journey in the Sermon on the Mount. As we continue our journey again, looking at this wonderful prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. As you're turning over there, let me tell you a story. I remember going to an Islamic country for the first time. And I remember Katie and I, we went together in 2006 to this country, and it was quite a cultural shock, quite a cultural experience for both of us. There were many experiences that greeted us, but none were quite as memorable as being woken up by the Salah or the call to prayer. Now, all over the city, five times a day, beginning at dawn, the sound of singing would fill the air. And if you have never heard the Muslim call to prayer, and if you hear it for the first time, especially at dawn, it will really catch you off guard. Now, I'm used to getting up to chickens and things like that, not someone singing over the air, not the Salah. I remember our group complaining because they were not used to the type of singing that was going on, and we were also caught between Realistically, the reason that we were so off guard is because we were caught between a very different world view. And it was during that moment when you're woken up by the sounds that you realize, hey, you are no longer home anymore because this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And even though the Salah is, if you've ever heard it or you hear it, it's hauntingly beautiful. It's a singing like we just don't hear often. And even though it's hauntingly beautiful, the Salah is filled with Islam. It's filled with a religion that has no satisfaction, no rest. A religion that is filled with strife and striving to please God. Now take that experience and contrast it with another experience. When I went to Jerusalem for the first time. Now there are mosques in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem has a lot of what Islamic country didn't have, and that is churches. Big, beautiful churches. And in Jerusalem, I think that I remember this rightly, in Jerusalem, I didn't hear the Muslim Salah one time. Although it was there, I didn't hear it. It wasn't broadcast all over the city. In Jerusalem, instead of hearing the Muslim Salah, I heard church bells ringing. And boy, did they ring. I loved hearing them. Church bells ring. You know, you ever heard church bells ring? Maybe someone gets married and they ring the church bells or whatever the case may be. Church bells, whenever I hear them ringing, it always reminds me of both solemnity and celebration. When I heard the bells ringing in Jerusalem, I couldn't help but think it is finished. Jesus has come and won the victory for humanity. Those bells were ringing. I kept hearing, all striving is accomplished. This is the time for celebration. The way to enter rest and peace is accomplished through the ministry of the Son. And I really think that those bells in Jerusalem, I think that's the reason that they ring. And that's the reason that they ring so loud. And that's the reason that they ring so clear. 
So look at those two experiences. One experience was striving and the other was ceasing. One was busy and the other was full of rest and enjoyment. And let me ask you a question this morning. If you could choose, which one would you have? Would you rather have striving? Or would you rather cease from striving? Would you rather have rest? Or would you rather have busyness and jumbled, knotted up life? And I just wanted to know, not only which one would you choose, and all of us would probably say we'd much rather have rest, we'd much rather have relaxation, we'd much rather cease striving, but does that really match your experience? The experience of your life match the peace that Christ has accomplished for you, or are you filled with distraction and unrest? Now listen to this carefully. In the midst of all of our striving, Jesus, our peace, calls us to come away and pray. Let's read the Bible together. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. They may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank You that there is a God in heaven who knows what we need even before we ask. No doubt in this audience today, these people are participating in the preaching of Your Word. There are many here who have so many issues and strifes and struggles. You know what we need. So, Father, this moment, would You greet us where we are? Take us beyond where we are to show us all of Your glory through Your Word. In Jesus' name. Over the last couple of weeks, and for the next few weeks here at Oxford, we have been talking about prayer. And if you remember, if you've been taking notes, you've noticed that we have defined prayer something as simple as we can. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. Prayer is that opportunity, that tangible opportunity that we have to express a fellowship that has been granted to us by us setting our hearts to seek His face. And that's what we do. And so today we get to look at a certain aspect of prayer because prayer is this thing that's not really to be separated from all of our life. It's supposed to be a part of our life. And so we get to look at this aspect of prayer when we are alone with God. Now, we call that in church language, those of us who've attended church on a regular basis or maybe been born in church like I was, you've probably learned the vernacular, the way that the church people speak. We call this certain things, a lot of different things in church. We call it quiet time, devotion time. Could you just imagine if you were uh, not a Christian and not used to the language, hey man, did you have your quiet time today? What do you mean quiet time? You know, so this is the way that we talk. We know what we mean when we say devotion times or quiet times. But today, what I want us to do is I want us to explore from this passage the importance of us coming away 
and being with the Lord. Let's look at the text again. Look at this verse here where Jesus says this in verse 6. Go into your room. Shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see what our Lord's doing? You see what He's calling us to? By calling us to pray, Jesus is calling us to a deep life of active faith. Now in contrast to the hypocrite, as we see, they stand and pray in the synagogues in verse 5 that they may be seen by others. In contrast to the hypocrite whose confidence is themselves, Jesus calls His followers to pray to a God who is unseen. Do you see that? Look at what it says. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see the faith that Jesus is calling us to? Do you see why prayer is a faith-filled activity? Now, for some who may be new to church, prayer, it can really feel a bit awkward. Maybe some never get over the awkwardness. So you look at what Jesus says and you really don't take Him seriously here. Go into your closet, pray Jesus. Who has time for that? Friend, I pray that God would bring you to a point in your life where you think that you don't have time to pray. He would flip your paradigm and show you that you don't have time not to pray. Jesus is here taking us and showing us this faith-filled activity called praying. Think about how counterintuitive prayer can seem. You mean to tell me that if I receive bad news, then I'm to go into a private space when no one is watching and pray to a God that I can't see who may or may not give me a direct answer? You mean to tell me that the first thing that you're going to tell me to do is you're going to ask me if I've prayed about it? That's right. Do you see how prayer is an activity that is filled with faith? I remember as a boy having a dream. I remember this dream. It's very vivid in my mind. There was an old man who was in his house, who was on his floor, on his knees, and he was praying. And as he was praying, the doors suddenly flew open and the devil appeared to this old man. The devil looked at that man and said, do you really think that your prayer is having any effect on anything? The old man didn't get off of his knees, but just glanced up at the devil and said, Devil, if my prayer is having no effect, then why are you fighting so hard against me? And at that moment, the door slammed and the devil left in a rage. As Agathon said, prayer is warfare to the last breath. Prayer is warfare to the last breath. Prayer is an activity that is filled with faith. And so we constantly have to remind ourselves calling ourselves back to this faith. This is why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, you know, we know what Ephesians chapter 6 is about. It's about the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We know about the armor. We like to teach our children about the armor, but don't miss what Paul says. He says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And listen to what he says next. Don't miss this. This is the piece of the armor that we leave off. Praying at all times 
in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. You see, that's part of our warfare. Prayer, and to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer is warfare to the last breath. This is why in a life that's filled with strife, in a life that's filled with striving, Jesus calls us to pray. Do not disregard the importance of prayer. Jesus, by telling us to pray, is calling our hearts to tangibly express our longing for Him. And the way that we express our desire for Him is for us to come away from all the strife, from all the busyness, to center ourselves, to seek His face by bowing our knees and saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done earth as it is in heaven. And if you don't think that that can center you, then try praying that after you've received bad news. If you don't think that that prayer can center you, then pray it in the morning when you don't know what awaits you through the day. You know what our Lord is doing? I believe that our Lord wants us to see the beauty of coming away and being with Him. The beauty of coming away and being with Him. And if you call yourself a Christian, all of the Christian life is characterized by you and me, us, realizing the presence of the Lord. That's what we're called to do. We are those people who are faith-filled people. We believe in a reality that is unseen, but just because it's unseen doesn't mean that it's real. It's more real than anything else to us. C.S. Lewis said one time, I believe in God the same way I believe in the Son. Not because I look up and I see the sun, but because of the sun, I can see everything else. This is the way we feel about Christianity. Jesus is calling us to pray. And so all of the Christian life is characterized by us realizing, delighting, walking in the presence of the Lord. Think about the heart of our confession in John. is the Word became flesh. The eternal Word of the Father, without ceasing to be what He was, became what He was not. He became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled. He pitched His tent among us. He has brought His presence to us in a way that's not off some distance somewhere, in a way of the most tangible way that He could, by taking flesh, by taking blood, by taking Bone by taking soul, body, spirit, and dwelling amongst us. We were incapable of going to where He was, the high and majestic, lofty God. And so what did He do? He brought heaven down to us. He transcended His own transcendence so that He could bring us to Him. Now that's mind-blowing. It's beautiful. That's the good of the Gospel. And this is the heart of our confession We know the good of this, that God is with us. But if we're honest, if we're all honest this morning, there are probably some days when you don't feel the closeness of His presence. 
Has God ever felt distant to you? Have you ever felt those days in your praying where you feel like that your praying is not going high any higher than the ceiling? And I'm guessing probably at your house, though it may be, your ceiling is probably not even this high as this church. Have you ever had those days, though, where you feel like you are just so distant from God? And I think that when we feel that, that has more to do with us than Him. Nevertheless, we are these people who live in the reality and we have to take active steps to remind ourselves, to center ourselves of the indisputable reality of the invisible God. So Jesus calls us to come away and pray. Look at this prayer that Jesus sets before us for just a moment. Now, I've avoided the prayer on purpose because we're going to spend several weeks in the prayer and I've avoided looking at the prayer for a purpose over these past few weeks, but I want you to look at the prayer just for a moment. And I'm, I'm not going to read it. I want you to have it before you. If you don't have a Bible with you, scoot over to somebody who has a Bible. Just look at it for just a moment. Do you see how it comes to us? Look at those language. And maybe you have it memorized. That's okay, too. It's not in isolation. Although it presents to us another world, it, it doesn't diminish the harshness that we have in this world. Look at the language there daily bread some of you don't want daily bread you want bread for this week and the next week and after that right it doesn't diminish the harshness of this world it doesn't call for a neglect of the trouble that we face instead what does the model prayer do it faces all of our storms and it gives us an anchor a sail no matter how hard the wind blows it will never rip and tear you're either facing the problems that are listed in this prayer or you will face them. And the good thing about it is the Lord is telling you, yeah, I'm right there with you as you face them. And while you're facing them, here's something for you to hold on to to tangibly get you through. And just remember, as you're holding on to it, and it's not so much you holding on to it as it is holding on to you. In the midst of a world that's filled with so much uncertainty, Jesus calls us to come away be with the Lord. Jesus calls us to pray. So I want to give you two beautiful truths about this coming away and being with the Lord. Two truths. And if you're writing these things down, I'm going to have them on the screen for you. And I want you to write them down. I really do because they're really good. You'll forget them if you don't write them down. They're, they're good enough to write down. Number one, God desires us to desire Him. By calling us to pray, you know what God's doing? He is showing that He has a desire. And you know what that desire is? The desire is for us to desire Him. Don't ever get over the absolute privilege of prayer and what prayer expresses. Prayer is an opportunity to express a deep longing to be with the Lord. Prayer is an opportunity for us to have His ways fill us and fill everyone around us. Everyone and everything around us. You see, when God calls us to pray in this way, we are not praying for our will to be done. We are praying for His will to be done. We are praying for His will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. So God calling us to pray is desiring us to desire Him. Think about that for just a minute. God desiring us 
to desire Him. Is that sacrilegious? Think about creation. What are the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. Now stop there. What did He do? In the beginning, God. What did He do? He created. You know what that tells us? That tells us so much. That tells us a great deal. But one of the things that it tells us is that our God is the God of revelation. What does that mean? He is the God who reveals Himself. Now this is important. Because listen carefully. If God did not reveal Himself to us, we would be left looking at the sky tomorrow as the total eclipse comes and thinking that a monster was eating the sun. Did you know that some ancients used to think that? They used to think that when the total eclipse happened, there was some monster eating the sun, so they'd make a lot of loud noises, and the sun would come back. So, hey, they really thought that this was the, the real thing, because, hey, when they made a lot of loud noise, the sun came back out. So you know what happened the next 25 years? Well, they did it again. Apart from God's revelation, we could think that all of these planets just magically appeared with no order, with no rhyme, with no purpose. There are some modern sophisticates who believe that. Those of us who have God's revelation, those of us who have the words, in the beginning, God, we are left in a better position. You and I, because God has revealed us, we can now express what it is that He's revealed us. And we can express it in beautiful ways. We know, as one artist said, who it is that taught the sun where to stand in the morning. This is the one who told the oceans you can only come this far. This is the one who told the moon where he could hide until evening and whose words alone can catch a falling star. Now that's beautiful and probably you've heard that song on the radio so much that you're sick of it. But hey, it's beautiful and it expresses the reality that we know because of God's revelation. We can't say that unless we know God. And because we know God, oh man, we don't just like to say it, we love to say it. What we know about God's good creation is that He made a beautiful paradise where man could walk with God in the cool of the day. He could have made Himself unknowable, but He didn't. God chose to create a world and us in it with the capacity of relating with Him. Listen, this is the beauty of what we proclaim together. We can have an intimate, close, abiding fellowship with God. With God. How do you know that? God's told us. He's not just left it to our imagination. He's not just written some enigmas down for us to try to figure it out on our own. We know what we know because He has told us. He first revealed Himself in creation. and Then He revealed Himself through new creation. You know the story of the Bible. Mankind's walking with God was interrupted. If you don't know the story of the Bible, let me tell you. Mankind's walking with God was interrupted by man's choice to turn away from all the good of God. But you know, here's, here's the beautiful part of the story. Don't miss this. Genesis chapter 3 happens. Mankind does what they shouldn't have done. 
Their eyes are open. They see their shame. They see their nakedness. They're filled now with regret. And you know what God does? He sees it too. But you know what He does? He comes looking for them. He didn't have to come look for them. As man turned away from God, it didn't stop God from setting forth a plan to redeem creation. Go back and read it. If you're not familiar with it, go back and read Genesis 3 and you'll read 14 verses that are negative and then all of a sudden you come to verse 15 and it takes God just 15 verses to get to the good news. So what did He do? He set forth a plan. He called a people to Himself out of the darkness to be the lights of the world. Abraham and the Jews. And from those people, there was a promise that one would come who would bring order back to a world filled with chaos. And then the rest of the story is, as we are Christians, we know who that one is. The Bible says, and when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and have the ability now to know that when we go into our room and pray that there's a Father waiting for us. And we can call Him Father. Look at verse 9. Our Father in heaven. The ministry of the Son, the ministry of Jesus, everything that we've seen from Jesus in Matthew so far and everything that Jesus does the picture of Jesus in the Bible, the ministry of the Son is a ministry of revelation. Matter of fact, Jesus is the definitive revelation of the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and whoever knows the Son knows the Father. And the ministry of the Son is a ministry of new creation. Everything that He does, He does to bring us into fellowship with God. Why does He heal the sick? Why does He walk on the water? Why does He raise the dead? One reason, so that He can take all the chaos of this world, all the striving of this world, and undo it. Like a broken arm, He sets it back in motion. All so that He can bring us into fellowship with God. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me anything. He could have existed for all eternity without ever feeling what we feel. Hurt. Hunger. No reason for Him to suffer as a man. But He chose to do it. And there's one reason why He did it. You know what it is? A little four-letter word. Love. For God so what? Love. The world. He gave His only begotten Son. So this Jesus, what's He do? He comes in the midst of our chaos in a world that doesn't even know up from down, left from right, all the rest. They don't even know. He calls us. We don't even know how to pray. He comes to us, calms us, assures us, and says, when you pray, listen to the way that I tell you to pray. Because if there's one person who knows how to pray, it's me. He's calling us to come away and Be with Him. So the question that Jesus has for us, it's a question that we have to answer. A question that we'll keep having to answer. How will we respond to Jesus? When will we respond to Jesus? How could we not respond to Jesus? Let's think about that first point just a little more. Put it back up there, please. Look at at what it says. Hopefully you wrote it down so you don't need it up there. But look at what it says. God desires us to desire Him. 
Now, does that sound strange to you? How in the world could anyone not desire God? He is all-wise. He is all-consuming. He is all-loving, full of compassion. God is the highest attainable thought, and He is even greater than anything that you could even imagine. Even your greatest imagination doesn't even touch who God is. He created us for only one purpose, and the purpose for our creation is to delight in Him and to enjoy Him forever. Enjoying His infinite majesty is our utmost pleasure. He is love, full of patience, full of justice. And He calls us, us, into fellowship with eternity. How does He do that? Through the self-sending of the Son, this One who took on flesh in order to redeem our flesh by becoming sin and dealing with what separated us from Him by Himself being nailed to a cross. And this Jesus who was nailed to a cross for our sin, this Jesus has been raised from the dead and He now stands forever making intercessions for us. You know what that means? It means that He who calls us to pray is Himself praying for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus is praying for you? Who couldn't desire God? Who would not Desire God. He is the healing for every sorrow, the cure for every disease, the peace for hate and racism, the justice for every injustice, the life in the valley of the shadow of death, the light in the midst of darkness, the hope in the midst of hopelessness. And He calls we who were sick with sin, wrestling with restlessness to be with Him, who wouldn't desire God. But our experience is that we, even we, those who love Him. We look at prayer as a discipline. And I think that it is. We have to discipline ourselves to enjoy fellowship with Him. I hope I'm not alone here. Is that anyone else's experience that you have to discipline yourself to have a quiet time? You have to discipline yourself to pray? Am I the only one that struggles with that? If God is so encompassing, if God is so great, why do we have to call these things spiritual disciplines. You know why? Here's the reason. Prayer is warfare. It's battle to the final breath. And by calling us to pray, Jesus lets us in on His desire. You know what His desire is? Jesus is desiring us to desire Him. He doesn't desire us out of necessity. He doesn't need us. He desires us out of love. No, the opposite is true. He doesn't need us. We need Him. We need Him. And He knows that we need Him. So He says, listen, you can exist apart from Me. So if you want to have any kind of meaningful existence, you'll desire Me. He desires us to desire Him not out of necessity, but out of love. He can be God without us, but He chose to love us. And the word that we have to describe what that is, is amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Look at the way that He calls us to pray. This is important. Go into your room. Shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. Number two this morning. God calls us to store up treasure. He desires us to desire Him and He calls us to store up treasure. Now, I want you to ask a question of yourself. Think about it. Are you a collector of treasure? Hopefully you don't buy junk, right? No one buys junk. You don't go out and say, you know what, I'm going to go junking around. Well, 
That may be the name of a story, and maybe I should be quiet. Uh, hopefully, you are not a collector of junk. Hopefully, you collect treasure. Now, listen, I'm not asking another person's opinion on what's in your house. I don't want to know those things. I just want to know, are you a collector of treasure? I want you to look at this. You can't see it in, the, in your English, but I want you to underline it here. This word room. Do you see that in verse 6? I think I said this last week, but it's worth mentioning again because it's so good. The word room here is temeon. Say that. Temeon. Say it again. I didn't hear you. Temeon. It's a Greek word. Obviously, now you all know Greek. You passed the test today. Congratulations. But that word, temeon, is a specific word. It refers to a secret chamber where treasure is kept. A place where no one else knows what's there except for a select few and maybe you. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's calling us not just into any room. He's calling us into the treasure room. He's calling us into the treasury. And by calling us away, you know what He's doing? He's revealing much about the way that He wants us to view our world and ourselves. Now, think about prayer just for a moment. Why is it that you pray? Why do you pray? Well, one reason is because of where we are and where He is. And you say, where are we? We are between Two worlds. That's where we are right now. This is why you have to discipline yourself. This is why your life is filled with a lot of friction. This is why we have to constantly remind our hearts. This is why we struggle with sin. Because we are between two worlds. We are between one world that is passing away and the glorious world that is coming. We're in between those two worlds. We are pilgrims in a foreign land whose citizenship is in heaven. And we love to talk about that, right? This is what Paul says. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just wonder oftentimes if this is the way that we view things. If this is the way that we view our lives or have we become too comfortable in this world and we've forgotten that we are pilgrims passing through. We are constantly to keep our eye on the horizon because in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus could come back riding on His white horse, fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We are waiting for a better land that is coming. A land like Jeremiah mentions where we won't have to teach one another saying, know the Lord. We'll just simply know the Lord because He's going to come. He's going to make us His own. And do you see what our Lord is doing by calling us to prayer? What's He wanting us to do? Why is He telling us to go into the treasure house and pray? He is calling us to develop a Christian or a Christ-centered way of thinking that embraces all of these faith-filled realities. We delight in praying because it thrills our hearts. Christ is calling us to go into our rooms, to come away, to go into our rooms, to go into the door and get the right perspective on things. Shut out the world. Cut off the TV. Get quiet. All the distraction. Remind yourself that you live by faith and not by sight. So here we are in the room of our prayer room, in the room of our treasury, and what are we doing? We are looking at the world or we're viewing the world through the window of our treasure. By calling us to our rooms to pray, Christ is calling us to have the right perspective on things. And often we need those times of quiet so that we can remind our truths of the truths of God to just block out all the noise. Do you have time alone with God? 
We don't like silence, do we? What we just experience is that awkward silence. That's what we call it. You're wondering if I've forgotten my place. <laughs> I'm wondering if you're listening. It's awkward. Do you know when you're alone, you're in that room, that's where God will develop character that He wants you to have out in the world. And if you're like some, if we're all honest this morning, some of the most anxious times can be when you are all alone. You ever experienced that? You're alone, your mind is racing. You try to be quiet, but your mind won't be quiet. What happens to me when I kneel to pray, suddenly it's amazing. All my memory comes back. I think about things that I haven't thought of in years, and I remember what I forgot last week. It's, it's amazing. Why is that? Well, I think that Jesus offers a solution. Look at what Jesus calls us to do. He is calling us to come away, but not calling us to empty our minds. Now listen carefully. He's calling us to a specific place. Do you see it? It's the Timaeon. He's calling us to the treasure room. Could it be, could it be, that the reason that we are so distracted when we pray is because we are setting our hearts on trinkets instead of treasures? Could it be that we are carrying when we pray too much of ourselves in our praying instead of fellowshipping with God in worship. Are we praying when we pray, Thy will be done or My will be done? You say, well, how in the world can you know the difference? What's in your treasury? How do you pray? What consumes your prayer life? When's the last time you prayed to love God more? When's the last time you prayed for your friend's sickness. But through that sickness that he would become or she would become a in closer fellowship with God, that God would use whatever circumstances in their life or your life for God's glory and good. We can either reach the heights of heaven when we pray or be stuck on earth spinning our wheels. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have wings than wheels. I'd rather reach the heights of heaven. So how can you? Jesus tells us we pray the way that Jesus teaches to go into our treasury, not just with our own thoughts, but look, look at verse 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. See what Jesus is doing? He is telling us, He's shaping our minds and teaching us. He's saying, this is the way you pray. This is your treasure. Have your heart set on Me. Go into your treasury. You say, what on earth is my treasury? Again, we're back to where we started. This is your treasury. The closest verse by verse, book by book exposition that the great English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon ever wrote was on the Psalms. You know what he entitled his multi-volume work? I love this. I wish that he wouldn't have done it so that I could do it, but now I can't do it, so I have to tell you about what he did. He entitled his multi-volume work, The Treasury of David. You know why he called it that? I think it's rather simple. He read the Psalms. Have you read the Psalms? Have you ever prayed the Psalms? Have you ever seen Scripture as the treasure? Let's read just a few of the Psalms. Listen to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired of they than gold, yea, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. The drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. What about Psalm 84? The day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord, the God, is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Maybe Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face shine upon us. That Your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You judge the people with equity. You guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. O God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth hear Him. Maybe one like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Thou art with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's in your treasure? Are your prayers consumed with self? Or are your prayers consumed with the sovereign Lord? One way of praying is praying from a room full of treasure. The other way of praying is a praying with a room full of trinkets. Jesus is calling us to come away from the world and enter our rooms filled with treasure that He has given us His revelation of Himself so that we could pray. This is why there is a reward. Look at what happens. The Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know why there is a reward? Because He is the reward. By calling us to pray this way, Jesus is telling us the secret to praying. Prayer is not so much about our demands, it's not about our wish list, as it is about us seeing the world through the window of our treasury and for us to come away and delight in being with the Lord. And I want to tell you this, that's something for you to look forward to and that's something for you and I to do often. We're going to pray this way it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to be something a lot more in-depth 
and now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's going to be a lot different than, thank you, Lord, for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to be a lot different than, Lord, bless me and my children and my family and my brothers and my aunts and my cousins and my nephews and my nieces. It's going to be a lot different than that. It's going to require a lot of work because we're going to have to learn how to be able to recognize the voice of God and if we're going to ever have a conversation with Him. You say, how in the world can you learn to recognize the voice of God? You learned it when you were little. And if not, let me teach you now. We sing about it. Sing it with me. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. How did you know? The Bible tells you so. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us that we have a Father who sees in secret. And when we pray, He stands ready to reward those who seek Him. But the reward of that, we'll have to save that for next week. Hopefully prayer for you is more delight than duty. Hopefully prayer for you is more organic than mechanic. This method may be new for you, and that's okay. Because Jesus has come to show the way. And more than just show us the way, listen carefully, Jesus Himself has come to say, take my yoke upon you. He doesn't just show us the way. Jesus Himself is the way. Let's pray together. Father, we love You. And we are strengthened this morning as we realize You in all of this world and chaos and trouble, You call us away to pray. Father, teach us to pray the way that You teach us. Help us, O Lord, to fill up our treasury, not with trinkets, but with treasure as we learn to have a conversation with You by listening to Your voice. We are Yours. We love You. Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know You, who can't have a conversation with You because they don't know Jesus, Father, would this be the day that they cry out to You in desperation and say, Oh God, I want to know You. Please save me. Father, give them the confidence they need of walking with Jesus day by day. And help us, Lord, to come alongside them and do that. In Jesus' name. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.